Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? Al Sacco and Zay Nakvi back with you for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. Good to be back. This is my second show back. I'm excited. Training camp is underway, even though it's a little weird and a little strange. And I wish I could watch some preseason games, but you know, it's the world that we live in. But we got a good show today. We have Grant Cohn on the show, and I'm really excited to talk to Grant. We know he's a polarizing figure in terms of 49ers fans, but um, I've never actually talked to Grant before, so it was good to talk to him today. And we asked him about the George Kittle situation last week where he reported the Kittle contract was going to be done in a couple of days and his numbers were a little bit off. But as I said on Twitter, I'm Team Grant on this one, and it was interesting to see what he to hear what he had to say about it. And we also want to talk about this Jalen Hurd injury because I just can't get out of my head that the 49ers are cursed at wide receiver. Zane, are, are they just cursed? It's been a long time. I know you love those wide receiver stats. Uh, we, we kind of talked about it last time in the last show with uh, regard to Pro Bowls, catches, touchdowns, and all those things that the um, 49ers wide receivers have done in the past. And it's been a long time since they've had a really good established wide receiver. And I'm not saying that Jalen Hurd was going to be that guy, but he was going to be an integral part to Kyle Shanahan's offense that was going to get, you know, depending on the game, five to 10 touches per game. And then he would, we would be able to see what he can do. And now with him being out, you leave a huge hole there. And the first thing that came to my mind was like, well, thank God they drafted Juwan Jennings because I'm a big Juwan Jennings fan. Like I think that he's going to be really, really good in this offense. He's a huge slot receiver. Uh, he's not the fastest guy, but he's, a, he's basically a bully with the ball in his hand. So I think that I, f- I felt really crappy at first when I heard about her going down because I had high hopes for him. But then I was like, you know, they played all last year without him. And on top of that, they added more wide receivers this year in Jennings and Ayuk. And on top of that, now you have guys like J.J. Nelson, Tavon Austin, and uh, as of the recording of the show, Jerron Brown, who have all joined the team as well. So you've got a lot of uh, guys who have played uh, this, uh, this game for a while now. And, and the inexperience that Hurd had, maybe you know, all that's kind of offset by the experience that these guys bring in. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. You've got a lot of basically everything. Like I don't know if you noticed Al, but Kyle Shannon basically has everything in his offense now with the wide receivers. He's got tall guys. He's got speed. He's got possession guys. He's got guys that can line up anywhere on the field. So I think that you'll see a much different offense than you saw last year um, with with Kyle Shannon calling calling the uh, the plays this year. So a lot to talk about. Really excited about that. Yeah, and Kyle, we trust, and he can definitely make the best out of what he has. But we'll get into that, and I will give you some of those stats about the curse the wide receivers. But before we do that, here is Grant. Our guest today is definitely known for pushing the buttons of 49ers fans, and I I can't wait to talk to him and see what he has to say today. From Sports Illustrated's All 49ers, can't wait to talk to Grant Cohn. Grant, how you doing, buddy? I'm batting a thousand. How are you? (laughs) Doing good. And I've, I've been really wanting to talk to you because you've probably had what I would think was the craziest 48 hours of your professional career anyway last week. And and if the listeners are unfamiliar, and I doubt anyone is, with what happened, but you made huge news last Wednesday when you came out and said that the George Kittle contract was going to be done in two days, which would have been last Friday. And you had some numbers, I think it was six years, 94 million. Mm-hmm. So you got people talking and George Kittle came out and kind of, kind of shot it down, kind of threw some water on it thing in, in a tweet. You guys will believe anything you hear on the internet. And then people say, well, okay, this isn't true. But then all of a sudden, you see Ian Rappaport and Mike Silver 
and Matt Mayoko all of a sudden are saying, well, now, now there's been some headway. Now, now all of a sudden there's been some movement <laughs> in this. Two days later, well, the next day, the contract gets signed and you've gotten some praise for it. You've gotten some criticism for it because you were the person who said that things are moving in the right direction. Now your numbers weren't right, but mm-hmm. the fact that things were moving worse. So just take us through with it. It had to be crazy for you in that 48 hours. Can you kind of take us through what, what it was like for you last week? Yeah. I mean, it was amazing because uh, I got this scoop and I was so, I've never broken news like that before. So to put it out there that it was going to happen by, by Friday and have these numbers to go along with it, it was very, um, I was nervous because I thought, you know, George Kittle and his agent and the whole world was going to come down on me right away and say, this is just bogus. But that's not what happened. Everyone had to adjust their story and say, well, actually, it is going to happen soon. Um, and they didn't give me credit. Uh, they just said that things spontaneously started picking up. Yeah, right. Things had been picking up. I just right. feel like uh, the agent had been concealing that fact from the reporters he was talking to. And I wasn't talking to the agent. I had a, uh, a source out of left field, so I actually got the real deal. Um, so so it, I was vindicated for like an hour. I mean, it broke that, that night. And I, it was like the greatest night of my life. I was hanging out with my brother. We were celebrating. And I put up like a little gif of, of Damian Lillard after hitting Scott and people were praising me. And basically everyone who liked me was patting me on the back. And the people who don't like me, real quiet, waiting for the numbers to come out because they had a feeling my numbers were going to be wrong. And they were. And everyone who had a grudge against me or didn't like me took their shots that the next day, like Grant's unprofessional, what is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was like a little bit of a, a Rorschach test. What do you think of Grant? What do you think of what he did? And the way I look at it is, I made a rookie mistake with my reporting because I've never reported something like that before. I didn't need to report the numbers. And what I reported was not that he had signed it, but that he was going to sign in two days. And what I should have figured out is, is that that means it's not done. And there is always multiple deals on the table that you can choose from. And uh, from what I understand, there was a six-year deal on the table, even though the agent denies it. And at the last minute, they went with a five-year deal. All I should have said was that it's going down Friday. And then people wouldn't have been able to second-guess me. But I think it's interesting that what happened was, after all that said and done, because my numbers were wrong, Mike Silver and Ian Rappaport and Pardon My Take get credit for the scoop. Um, and then afterward, Mike Silver this Monday wrote like a whole long article quoting Jack Becca extensively about how off base and wrong I was. But it's funny, like, so now we're believing the word of Jack Becca after he lied all off season to Mike Silver about how far apart the 49ers and Kittle were down to the very last, you know, so like mm-hmm. we, we, now we believe him, his, his version of the timeline when his timeline was off to begin with last week. So um, I just think it's funny that Becca, the agent, it means so much to him to crush my scoop. He really wanted it to go to pardon my take, I believe. I think he was basically stringing Silver along being like, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen so that they could give the scoop to George Kittle's friend at Barstool Sports. And I just got in the way. And um, so they wanted to shoot me down. Because if, in this industry, if you break that kind of a story, it's like career defining. It's like oh, it's sure. a very big deal. And I don't think people want me to rise through the ranks that quick. So everyone had to say, no, 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 no. He didn't really get the scoop. But I think most people understood that I did. And that, that was a question I was going to ask you. You actually answered it already. Is, is did you kind of regret the numbers? Because if you, if you just yeah. say the deal is done. You're a hero right now. Nobody can take that away from you. And in on a much, 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 much smaller level, I had something kind of similar happen to me. And I don't even know if you remember this. I know Zane does because I never forget it. 
but I was the first person who had the Niners interest in, in Jason Barrett. And look, I'm a nobody, you know, but I had actually reported that before anybody. A few hours later, it was sort of the same thing where I've heard all these national people are reporting it and no credit to me whatsoever. Beat writers, no credit to me whatsoever. So I was a little frustrated. So I felt for you. Again, this is like a much, 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 much smaller scale than what you did. Um, but what I was kind of, I don't know. I was kind of like, I feel for Grant right now. Like I know what he's going through. It's the same type of politics in the industry. If you make a story, all of a sudden you're a real reporter and people have to respect you. They have to write your name in their articles. And what you see is that reporters are very petty and we don't like to help other people in this job. There's, there's, a, there's a supply and demand issue. Everyone wants to be a sports writer, not enough jobs to go around. And people go, go around like crushing the dreams of other people. I try not to do that. Uh, but you can see this is very petty political industry. Got to be careful. And, and, and it is it is a saturated market and everybody's out there trying to get the scoop, right? Especially now on Twitter. And I did see yeah. some things come out from your peers that I thought was a little, I don't know, <laughs> on your on, our, on their high horse type thing. And I won't yeah. say anything specifically, but just a little bit, you know, about, you know, if anyone's curious, inaccurate right. reporting. And I just kind of thought like, again, your numbers were wrong. Sure. Okay. They weren't yeah. right. But I, I have to stress enough and, and, and I backed you up on Twitter. I'm going to back you up now on the show. You said that a deal was getting done. Everyone else had said, oh, it's going slow. It's not happening. As soon as you said that, numbers right, wrong or not, the narrative completely changed. So, you know, to me, you deserve credit on that. And, and I know you've taken some slack, but I don't know. Al's on Team Grant. People could tell me if, if they disagree with me <laughs> or not, but I'm, I'm on Team Grant on this one. Congratulations, Ben. Well, I appreciate it. And you're right. You know, if I could do it again, I wouldn't have reported the numbers. And what I've noticed, because I've, I've always been an opinion guy. I've never been a, a, a newsbreaker. And what I've noticed is, the people who do this for a living are very careful with the things that they report before it's done. I mean, if, if, you're, if I'm saying, if my report was, and it was, that this is going to be done on Friday, but it's not done yet, then I had no business reporting numbers because all that could change and those things are fluid up until the minute the pen meets the paper. So that was just inexperience on my part. I didn't need to go that far. But what I was, I was, I was overcompensating because I knew people wouldn't believe me because I don't have, right. I've never broken a story like this. And I was like, okay. Well, I know you guys aren't going to believe me. So let me give you all the information I heard from my source. And I didn't need that. So if I ever get a, the scoop of a lifetime again, I'll try my best not to fumble it. But here's where the game's changed. People who have sports running is different now because you have people who legitimately have jobs and reputations and things like that. Right. And then you yeah. have guys like, like me again, I'm not I'm nobody, but people sort, sort of like me who kind of do it for a hobby and may yeah. also come up with things as a part-time job. So the game's changed. So you may have someone on a smaller scale, if you want to consider yourself on a smaller scale, you certainly sure. are than a Mike Silver, who are, is going to oh, get yeah. information like that now. That sort of thing is going to happen. And it is going to be natural for people to doubt it until you kind of you know, have to prove yourself. But I, I do think the game's changed in that regard. And, and news is breaking differently now. And people know things. And it's just as easy to, to send a tweet and, and send it out you know, when you're somebody's friend or a friend of a friend or, or somebody who kind of does a blog. I don't know. It's just different now, man. So no, I mean, there's definitely like a, a monopoly of information in the NFL with like Mike Silver, Ian Rappaport, and Adam Schefter. I mean, there's like there's like a total monopoly. But as you say, if you're if you have a big enough following and you, you, your DMs are open, God knows what you'll learn, and you'll you'll learn more and more stuff as your platform grows. So the uh, the monopoly that those three have over information is not tenable, and I'm proving that. And I think more and more people will as well. I don't like how NFL teams and agents give everything to the same two people. I don't think that's good for sports journalism. I think more people should try to break that up. Okay. All right, Zane, I'll stop talking now, buddy. Sorry, you can ask your next question. <laughs> well, no, I mean, this whole thing, it's, it's been super interesting for me because uh, 
a lot of what Grant is saying, like I already know, like every time I've talked to Grant, like Grant, you know this, every time we've talked, you've been more than willing to, to give, give me information or tips or, or uh, want to come on the show and he finally made it happen. But like, you know, I've grown, I've known Grant for a few years now and every time we talked has been pleasant and good conversation. And I think that you've done, you've done a lot to help me out personally. So, I mean, I can, I can attest to that. And with regard to the, the reporting and, and what happens and the discrepancies. So Michael Lombardi, I don't know if you saw this today, uh, as of the recording of this show, uh, Michael Lombardi put out a, a tweet, retweeted a tweet that Yannick Ngakwe was going to go to the Ravens uh, for like a third rounder or something like that. And oh, it turned no. out to be from one of those fake Schefter accounts. Oh, <laughs> so, no. Yep. So oh, this happened. No. This actually happened. And later on, like everybody's, everybody's telling me, yo, Mike, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. And he came on our show. He's been, he's been really great to us. But like even somebody like him can kind of get duped by this information. And the funny thing is, is nobody's really going at him because like, you know, people <laughs> don't have personal agendas, right? If they did, then they would. And I just kind of find it kind of funny that somebody else does it, but nobody's really getting personal with it. It's like, you know, kind of a, it's just kind of funny to me, but uh, I mean, I, I'm not that mad about it. Cause I understand that I polarizing. So if you don't like me, this is a great opportunity to really express that. And if you do like me, then you might have my back, but either way I can take it. I mean, that's kind of the, the price of being polarizing. And I, do like that about i mean i want to be polarizing so i gotta i gotta be able to take it so people were able to take their shots uh my career went on uh, i didn't get fired from sports illustrated yet so things are good right, so, so silver did put your name in his original tweet when said things were were moving along i think he was the one national guy to actually do that so yeah he um, did and i appreciate yeah. that and it was clear on monday beth that called Kittle, i mean silver and said look uh here's the whole scoop of how it went down and the, the terms of me giving this to you is you got to really dump on Grant Cohen from SI. And Silver said, <laughs> sure, okay, but he never actually used my name in the article. And I figured that was uh, out of out of maybe friendship or something. I don't know. Silver's a great guy. He's actually come on the show before, too, and I, I couldn't have been more impressed. He was, he was a really nice guy. Oh, yeah. I've known, I, I've known Silver since I was like eight years old. He was the sports columnist at the Santa Rosa Press Democrat before my dad was. Mm -hmm. uh, he, yeah, so great guy. Man, how do we go to that from uh, from that to like actual questions, man? That was such a that was such I a know, good was like, that was good. That was awesome. Um, so I guess I'll, I guess I'll you know there's no easy way to segue, but to, but to go go for it. So um, on field stuff, Grant, I really feel like the offense uh, can be really special this season. I kind of compared them uh, to the thought of the '99 Rams, where you have like one superstar and a bunch of like kind of secondary pieces that are like very good but not superstar level, right? Um, and you have a really good offensive mind behind that. Um, what are your thoughts, uh, on that? And do you see anything that's going to hold them back? So you're comparing the 2029 ers offense to the 99 Rams offense. So conceptually, conceptually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I like that. I'm not saying it's not. So, so Garoppolo would be Warner, mm -hmm. uh, McKinnon slash Mostert would be Falk. That's fine. Uh, Ayuk would be Isaac Bruce. Maybe Dante Pettis would be Tory Holt. I could kind of see it. I mean, they're kind of in that mold. Um, I actually, through four days of watching training camp, I'm getting the feeling that the offense is better than the defense last year. So maybe you're right on. I don't know if it's going to be ready to show on turf level good, but it could be similar in style. And last year when it was watching training camp, it was so clear that the defense was superior. I mean, the defense made the offense look like chumps. They made mm -hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo look bad. I mean, I think there was a lot of hand wringing about Jimmy because of how great that defense was. This year, I mean, the offense looks terrific. Uh, the run defense isn't nearly as good. Now Armstead's hurt. He, he'll be back eventually. But yeah, I think this might be a year where the offense carries the team. And that may be 
how it goes from now on because who knows how long Robert Sala will be here. It seems like they're going to slowly transition to an offensive team. So if this offense is going to take the next step, the quarterback has to do the same thing. And you and I have gone back and forth on Twitter a little bit, Grant, and had some good discussions mm. about Garoppolo. And you know, I think he had a very good regular season. I thought he struggled in the playoffs, but I thought he had a really good regular season. And I, I do think the arrows pointed up. How do you feel about him coming into 2020? Do you think he's going to take that next step? Is he going to level out? What's your thought? What are your thoughts on him? You know, I, I didn't training camp. I had convinced myself that he was not going to take a next step and he, he was going to level out. But just through four days of camp, uh, he hasn't turned the ball over once, which is a good sign. Because to me, there's three issues with him. He is a winner, but he is inconsistent because of his decision-making, his, I would say, arm strength on, on passes outside the numbers, and deep ball. And so far on those three things, he's shown tremendous progress uh, in camp. I mean, he's hit his last two deep balls. Uh, the, the zip isn't quite what it used to be during scrimmages but on in one-on-one drills when there's no pass rush around he really does spin it which tells me that physically his knee is fine everything is fine it's just a little bit of a mental hurdle that he is, that he still needs to get over um because he's never had an injury like this and i think he eventually will because the way i saw him when he came from new england he could really spin the ball he didn't have the greatest deep ball but he could really like throw it on a rope 15 20 yards wherever he needed to and last year was a little bit more of uh a float. Um, so I think that can come back and the deep ball is just practice anyway and, and, and chemistry with your deep threats. So now that I've seen him for a week, I started to think, yeah, I think he can take maybe that second year leap that quarterbacks take under caution. You mentioned earlier, like you thought the defense would probably take a step back. And I, I thought of this as well when they lost uh, DeForest Buckner, that's a big piece of their defensive line. I personally think that the offense would probably take, take a step up. The defense would probably take a small step back. Now they had a choice between keeping Armstead and keeping DeForest mm. Buckner. Uh, do you think the 49ers made the right choice there? No, I don't. And I understand why they made the choice because they felt Armstead was more affordable um, and they could keep other guys. But the thing is, if you're paying $17 million for a player, that's a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And you got to feel confident that he's, that his effort isn't going to wane, that he's going to play just as hard as he did in his contract year that he's going to be available and healthy and durable. And those are issues you do not have to worry about or even think about with DeForest Buckner. And that's why he gets $4 million more a year, because you don't have to worry about him for a minute. You just know he's going to be there on day one at camp and through all 16 games of the season. With Armstead, you just don't know. I mean, he's a question mark. Was last year just an aberration in a contract year? And is he going to revert? Or did he blossom into a new player last year? Uh, I would hate to have question marks like that about a guy that's making what, he's the second highest paid player on the team? Scary. Third highest mm-hmm. paid player after D Ford. So uh, he could turn out great, but to me, there's a whole lot of pressure on Eric Armstead this year. Uh, because if he isn't healthy or if he misses any amount of time, then D Ford is a starter. And now you've lost Armstead and Buckner, and that run defense, which was 23rd out of 32 last year, could become a real issue. So a lot of pressure on Eric Armstead. Let's see how he does. Uh, I think it's a bad sign that he missed the first four days of training camp. I'm not saying that he's a malingerer. I'm sure he really is hurt, but Buckner is hurt. I, I think he needs to get back pretty soon and, and um, not, not, not so the defense plays better in camp, but so that he really establishes himself as a leader on his team because he's never even been a, cap, uh, a captain. Uh, I remember when they traded Buckner and, and subsequently drafted Javon Kinlaw, I, I, I messaged you at that point, and I'm not a big fan of trading and replacing immediately like with the first round pick sort of thing. Uh, just because uh, it's just 
to me, like you created a hole that didn't need to be created. Now you're trying to fill it with something that you don't need to do, especially with all those receivers on the board just before they drafted Ayuk. But uh, I, I really feel like, you know, them getting Javon Kinlaw was kind of like a, a consolation prize. Although he's, he's much more raw um, than DeForest Buckner was. Buckner was one of the best college players like at that position of all time, in my opinion. He was that good. But I, I feel like Kinlaw has, is a little bit more raw, uh, a lot more mm. potential. Um, but, I, I mean, I know Al had a question about Kinlaw. Al, I'm kind of preempting your question here. No, well, it's not good I, I yet, can compare the two. I can compare Kinlaw and Buckner real quick, I mean, before you get to that, because I've been talking about this with a coach earlier today. And mm-hmm. what we were saying is, but, uh, just com- compare the different conferences they played in. Buckner played in the Pac-12, which is a pass-first, pass-happy conference. So he had much more pass-rush experience. And as a result, he had an entire repertoire move. He was a polished pass-rusher at Oregon. I mean, I've seen Javon Kinlaw for four days. He's not polished. He's an excellent athlete, but he has a bull rush. He's a, he's a power rusher. He has no, no counters. And that's to be expected. He played in the SEC. He was defending the run a lot, and he's pretty good at it. I mean, he's a rock in the middle of your line, but he didn't have the same amount of experience and reps and, and opportunities to develop as a pass rusher that Buckner had. So do you think the D-line is going to take a step back, Grant? Because they did essentially replace Buckner with Kinlaw, and, and earlier reports are that he's looked, Kinlaw's looked good so far in camp, but is is it going to be a slow start for him? Do you think he's going to hit the ground running? How do you think the defensive line is, is going to be with him there instead of Buckner? Um, I think he's a better fit theoretically uh, in the wide nine than Buckner in terms of a, a run defender because Buckner was really getting moved around last year. Um, when you go wide nine, that three technique is now getting uh, double teamed by the tackle and the guard on run plays all the time. And Buckner isn't really built to hold his ground against double teams. He's built to beat one-on-one. So now you get a guy who's 320 pounds lower to the ground. Uh, the run defense should be more solid, but I think what's going to come down to them is that the depth, when they were great last year, they had like eight guys they could roll through. And in the Super Bowl, what happened was, what happened a lot down the stretch, Bosa, Armstead, and Buckner just get a little tired and they don't have that second wave of guys and the secondary gets exposed. So again, this year, I mean, are they going to take a step back? Not if D Ford... I could see a scenario where they're even better. And that has to do with Armstead playing like he did last year and D Ford being healthier than last year and Kinlaw being a rookie of the year candidate. If that happens and Ronald Blair comes back halfway through the year and DJ Jones stays healthy the entire year, it could be even better. But if Armstead reverts, D Ford stays who he was last year, uh, then, then there could be some serious issues. Now, looking at the back end of that defense, the Niners have four big pieces in their secondary that are in the final year of their, their contracts, and Camon Williams, Richard Sherman, Jaquaski Tart, and uh, Witherspoon. What are your thoughts on that group this year and kind of like moving forward, especially with the, the cap situation, the way that it is with the Niners? It's the weakest group on the team, and I think it's a shame that they didn't at least add someone other than like Tim Harris Jr., who's the redshirt rookie, doesn't really count. Uh, I mean, the safeties are good. The, the linebackers are good. The D-line is good. It's a really great roster, but the corners, I mean, Jason Verrett, how many season, how many career-ending injuries has that guy tried to come back from? I mean, I feel terrible mm-hmm. for him, but it seems like he's, it's been five years since he's been effective. Uh, and then Akello Witherspoon is like, he needs like a therapist. You know, it's like it, 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 he, his issues are totally mental and in terms of uh, confidence related. How do you really tell a guy he's good if he doesn't believe it? So um, that's tough with him. And then Emmanuel Mosley, 
he's solid. I mean, I think basically these guys are – the Niners don't really value the cornerback position. Their attitude is if they put all their resources into the D-line, that they can kind of manufacture coverage uh, through sophisticated zone schemes and yada, yada, yada. And there's, there's evidence to support that you could have a good defense that way. But um, when you go against the best offenses in the Super Bowl, they shred zone coverage. You have to have more than that. And I, I'm curious to see if they can eventually evolve to a more diverse defense. Grant, who stood out to you in camp so far? Who stood out to me so far? Um, Dante Pettis. I mean, what he did yesterday was just unreal. Uh, he was so bad last year, and he seemed like he lost all confidence. And then yesterday, he came in and beat really anyone who was across from him. He was extremely competitive, and I hadn't seen him have that t- type of drive ever in his life. Uh, it's cool to see the, the light bulb go on for a young kid who was like right on the brink of being maybe traded or cut or washed out of the league like his uh, cousin Austin Pettis. So... He, he may have a second win or a second uh, act in his career. That's great. He was terrific yesterday. And then before we let you grow, Grant, is there anyone that you think could be a surprise cut for this team that may end up getting cut that no one sees coming? Surprise cut for this team? Um, ooh, that's a good question. And I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Maybe you could have some names. But the first name that comes to me is the rookie, Charlie Warner tight end just like last year Caden Smith um now I've only seen four days of Charlie Warner but what I base it on is the one-on-one drill uh that's how Ross Dwelly beat out Caden Smith last year you could see it Ross Dwelly could get open and win and Caden Smith could not and it's like if you could be a great blocker as a tight end but if you can't get open the team is better off using a sixth offensive lineman so you got to show some ability and right now Dwelly still gets open the, the undrafted rookie, Chase Harrell, is an amazing athlete. He's, he runs a 4'5". He's 250 pounds. He's quite fluid. He gets open. Now, he beat Quan Alexander yesterday one-on-one in that one-on-one drill. Uh, Charlie Warner doesn't seem to have much finesse or ability to get defenders leaning the wrong way. Maybe it's early and he can show it later, but he's, he's given me a lot of Caden Smith vibes. He may be an even better blocker than Caden Smith, but if you can't get open, and there are other tight ends on the roster who can, not looking good. So he needs to prove something in the next couple of days, uh, a couple of weeks. Grant, we really appreciate the time, buddy. You are welcome on the show. Anytime you want to come back, anything you want to plug, you want to tell listeners where to find you? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm on <laughs> Google me, Grant Cohn, C-O-H-N, and subscribe to me on YouTube. It's, it's, a, it's, my, it's my baby, my YouTube channel. Check it out. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, man. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again to Grant for coming on. I thought that was a great interview, and I, I thought he was really honest about how he said, Zane, that he wished, kind of wished he didn't report those numbers. And, and it probably would have been looked at differently if he didn't do that, you know? Yeah, I think that a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, you and I kind of come to know this, that a lot of alliances and certain things are built in, in this uh, industry and, and you and I are kind of on the, the fringe of it. Like we're, we're like nobody's right. Compared to some of these mm-hmm. big names that you read, uh, you know, the Mayo goes the barrels, Mike Silver, uh, David Lombardi, all these people. Uh, we're kind of on the outskirts of this. And when we hear stuff, it's probably way worse when you're closer to the epicenter. And I'm not, you know, I'm not defending necessarily one party or the other, but I'm saying that, you know, like a lot of times we read what we read in print. We don't think about, well, you know, what is the, what is the intent behind this or what has this person heard or what does this person know, or are they trying to uh, put an opinion out there or is this a fact? 
And unfortunately, like uh, I've been uh, kind of chastised for some of these things too. When talking about Kyle Shanahan and his game management, like people think an opinion is a fact and they'll come at me with all these things like, Oh, we'll look at this play and that play. But it's like, that's what, that's really what social media is, right? That's what Twitter is. It's put, put opinions out there as well. And people debate them. And I just think that, yeah, you know, Grant owned up to it, right? You, you heard him. He owned up yeah. to it. You know, he's, he's a big man about it. And, and like, how can you complain about that? Like he admitted his mistake. He was like, look, I shouldn't have put the numbers out there. Uh, I regret that. And what else do you want from him? Right. I, I think that anybody else after that, it's like, well, there's a personal issue then after that. So I, I don't know. And things change. I mean, it, it, behind the scenes and, and people get good information, people get bad information and people get information that pretty sure is good, but it ends up, you end up looking like an idiot because things changed and it fell through or whatever. So it's the nature of the business. It's the nature of the beast. And yeah, he did own up to it and, and good on him. And, and I, I kind of wish he did just report that it was going to get done because things would get looked differently um, in terms of that. But, you know, it is what it is. And, and I thought he handled it well. Now, all right, to, to come back, what we were talking about with the receivers, Zane, talking about Jalen Hurd. And yeah, he, he wasn't there last year. Obviously, the Niners made the Super Bowl without him, but I couldn't help but be heartbroken with his ACL injury because I was really excited for what was going to happen in the future with him. And it just, it gets me going with, I keep talking about this wide receiver curse. You know, it's like the football God said, you were going to give you rice, the best to ever do it. And we're going to give you Owens, one of the best to ever do it. And then you guys are going to suffer <laughs> for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And you just look at this year, we're excited about Debo. Debo had a great season last year. He was the best rookie wide receiver we've seen in San Francisco since Jerry Rice. And he comes in and he hurts his foot. And we hope he can be back within the first couple of weeks. But, you know, it was an, it's an injury there. And now this happens to Hurd. And I am going to throw some stats out at you because, you know, that's my thing. So since the Niners drafted Terrell Owens, okay, only three wide receivers that they've drafted have gained over 2,000 yards with the team. They are Michael Crabtree, who had over 4,000 yards. Arnaz Battle, who had 2,150. And Ty Streets, who had 2,008. All those receivers that they drafted did not get more than 2,000 yards. They have not been able to find anyone consistently in a draft to be able to do that. And you look at their touchdown, the Niners receiving touchdown leaders since 2004 for wide receivers. Michael Crabtree has 26 touchdowns. Anquan Bolden has 16. Brandon Lloyd has 14 in two different sits with the Niners. And that's it. The other guys up there are, you know, Vernon Davis has the most since that time. He's a tight end. And then George Kittle has 12 and Garrett Selleck has 12. Um, Kendrick Bourne, I think Kendrick Bourne has 10. I'd have to double check that, but he's right up there too. And he's been good as a role player. Mm-hmm. Um, but since T.O.'s last season in 2003, 49ers wide receivers have had more than five touchdowns in a season just five times. Michael Crabtree had nine in 2012. Bolden had seven in 2013. Isaac Bruce had seven in 2008. Crabtree had six in 2010 and Brandon Lloyd had six in 2004. So we've just seen these, these teams be, this team be absolutely snake bitten when it comes to wide receivers. And we hope, like you said, Ayuk looks great. And if Debo can get back on the field, the future is bright, 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 but the past has been a little bit scary. And I just want them to get through these injuries. I want to see Taylor healthy. I want to see Debo healthy. I want to see Ayuk living up to his draft status and in and, and the sky be the limit for these guys. Also, Pettis had five in his rookie year, I believe. Did he? No, more. Yeah, yeah he had five, but we were saying more than five. More than five. Okay, thank you. More than five. Yeah, so anybody gotcha. with more than five. Gotcha. Okay. And Pettis was another one, like Grant said. And Pettis, is he going to take that step this year? Because he, he's, he's got the talent, right? Yeah. I, I think that Pettis, uh, this is basically a make or break year for him. 
I think that now with the injuries to Richie James and uh, obviously Debo being the biggest one, it kind of moves everybody one slot up the depth chart. And granted, like there's there's locks on the roster. We know that Ayuk is not going anywhere. He's had a fantastic camp, by the way, so far. It's only been a week, but he's been fantastic. Um, and I think he's going to be basically, he has the potential to be better than Debo. Um, Lavin actually, he, he wrote an article about that that's really good on WebZone um, that I think people should read. But I think that Ayuk has the potential to be possibly better than Debo in terms of a, a pass catcher, whereas Debo is kind of like a Swiss Army knife. And with Debo being gone, you see all these additions to the wide receiver group. And I don't think you're going to see one dominant player get the ball. They're, they're kind of trying to build a system that New England had back when Aaron Hernandez and, and Gronkowski were the two tight ends, where you have two really good tight ends, although we haven't seen Jordan Reed on the field yet. I think they're being cautious with him. But you, you build two tight ends and you have uh, a system around two tight ends and you have a bunch of kind of no-name uh, receivers that are nondescript sort of pieces that you can move around everywhere and, and can do everything that a receiver does, play all three positions. And I think you're seeing that with the Niners. They're trying to see something through that will be more comfortable for Jimmy than, than it was last year. And that's the system that he came from. That's the system he was brought up in for the first four years of his career in the NFL. And I think they want to replicate something near that. And I appreciate that because you're not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Like when Kaepernick was here, they tried to make him a pocket quarterback at, at one point, And then his numbers kind of tanked after that because he wasn't that type of player and they wouldn't let him play. So I'm glad they realized that. And part of that has to do with the receiving group. Part of that has to do with, with Jimmy's strengths and weaknesses. But Al, I'm kind of curious to see what the new additions do. Like Tavon Austin, I think that he's just being brought in to return kicks and punts. I think that they they want to keep Trent Taylor healthy. Obviously, you're not going to have Ayuk do it or McKinnon do it, although we've seen them returning punts in, in practice. But really, Tavon Austin is going to be the punt return guy and the kick return guy. Uh, Jerron Brown uh, was was brought in as well. And I think that he's the size guy. He's 6'3", 200 plus pounds, played in Seattle last year. Like You're not going to throw more than 20 balls his way the entire season, most likely, uh, unless somebody else gets significantly hurt. And then you have J.J. Nelson, who's who's a super, super fast guy that has suspect hands. And I think that he's kind of your deep threat if you want to stretch the field. If you really are desperate for a deep threat, which they lacked last season, uh, I think that he can he can do that. He ran a 4-2-8 at the Combine when he was a rookie years ago. So he's, he's a really speedy receiver that you can add uh, to, to kind of take the top off the defense. But it's just a really interesting group, Al. There's no no one name that sticks out to me but it has the potential of being like a really, really great group. And before we go on, I mentioned to Grant how I thought this, this offense would be just like the 99 Rams offense. And we look back on, in hindsight and be like, oh, you're crazy. It was the best offense of all time, arguably, with a bunch of Hall of Famers on it. What are you doing, Zane? But when you look at in a vacuum, if you want to live in a vacuum, in 1999, before Kurt Warner was what he was, before Marshall Falk finished his Hall of Fame career, before Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce really took off, although Bruce was a good receiver before that, you have the elements of that same sort of offense, right? Where you have one superstar, all the way plays a different position and Kittle. You have a quarterback who's very good at throwing over the middle. You've got undersized sort of quick receivers that are shifty that can get open. And you've got an offensive mind who's really, really creative and can get the most out of them. So I think you're going to see a historic 49ers offense this year. Maybe not 99 Rams, but that's the, the kind of concept that I'm going for. And that's kind of my, I guess, my analogy. Yeah, I, I don't know that I really agree on, on that analogy with the Rams because the Rams had, I mean, Holt and Bruce, they're Hall of Fame caliber receivers. And Marshall Falk is a Hall of Fame running back. I just don't think the Niners have that level at the skill positions. They, they, they do, obviously, with George, George Kittle at tight end. But, but you talk about a historic offense. I, I think that that can happen in terms of the Niners. They were historic last year. This was the third highest scoring 49ers team of all time last season. 
they average 30 points a game and, and we say, can they be better? We think that they can. So yeah, historic in terms of the Niners, I do agree with you there. Um, this team can definitely put up over 30 points a game if they did what they did last year with a quarterback coming off an ACL. He's going to be better this year. I think the running backs with Mostert are going to be a little better this year. Like we said last week, we think the offensive line is going to be better if they can stop getting centers hurt. Um, and and we'll, we'll see on the receivers. But that goes into, I have this question for you too, Zainer. Are you getting worried about the injuries or is this just kind of part of camp? Richburg's down. Garland sprains his ankle. Armstead's been beat up. We've talked about Debo and Hurd. Quan Williams has the calf issue. Are, are you worried or is this just basic training camp stuff? Um, I think that's kind of the price you you pay for a deep playoff run because you are working longer and harder than any other team. And uh, part of it, I, I looked at the way that the Niners are working out. And I'm not saying uh, this is like based off of Instagram videos and social media, right? This isn't any qualified statement that I'm making, but my, just my opinion that you, when you suffer such a devastating loss like that in a game that they should have won in Super Bowl and they should be Super Bowl champions and, uh, we're not talking about Mahomes as MVP and all this stuff, but really a game that they should have won and, and how close they were, it causes you to try harder the, the subsequent season. And I'm afraid that they, that they're kind of bordering on that line between overtraining and the right amount of training, because you saw this off season, they were all working like the, the entire group was working hard this off season. And whether they put it on social media or not, we know this, like Dante Pettis posted nothing, but like the guys in, the best shape that he's been since the NFL, uh, since his NFL career started. So I think there definitely is a risk of that, but injuries themselves, like they, they happen in camp, right? Like they happen to every team and the Niners just happen to have them happen to guys that are kind of centerpieces to what they do. It would happen last year, happened the year before that. And I don't know what it is, man, I, what, bad juju, what it, whatever it may be. But I think that some of these are like small things that won't really be of too much consequence when the season starts, like the, the Quan Williams calf injury, like once he needs to rest that for a few weeks and he'll be fine. Uh, Armstead, he'll be fine. These aren't like significant long-term injuries. The Debo thing. Yeah, that was a bummer. Um, and obviously the, the Richie James thing was a bummer and the herd thing, but I don't think, I don't think they get injured any more than any other team. I just think that we're more, we, we care about it more because we know that every single player on this team is integral to making another Super Bowl run. So I, I just think that we just view it differently. I'll tell you what, though, it's nice to be down to your third string center, and that center is Daniel Brunskill. <laughs> this this yeah. offensive line is deep, and we saw that last year when McGlinchey and Staley went down, and they plugged in Brunskill and Skule and, and didn't miss a beat. <laughs> Still winning games and, and, and playing great on offense. So it's, this is a deep team. So if anybody can withstand it, it's them. Zane, I did want to ask you, saw today, I don't know if you did or not, the crowd noise that's going to get pumped oh. into the games. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? That's so stupid, man. Like I want, it's funny because you and I talked about this before off the air and we were talking about how sports are kind of weird right now because you don't hear any fans and baseball, especially like you'll hear the players and, and even in the NBA and it seems like they're kind of exhibition games. They don't seem like they're actually meaning meaningful games because there's, there's nobody in the stands and the fans add to the atmosphere. But I just don't agree with like replicating that artificially. Like, how do you, like, how do you enable an even playing field? Okay, well, Seattle's going to, are they going to have more noise? Cause there's a more noisy stadium. <laughs> or right. like, what decibel level are you going to set? Or like, what happens in the middle of a play where like the, the let's say the Niners defense is on the field and, and Russell Wilson throws a pick and, at, at Levi's, are you going to have all of a sudden like a burst of crowd noise and the Niners make a play? Like, how do you, how do you do this? Right. I, I think that it's different in, in baseball where they try to pipe crowd noise in because you can see a play coming. 
you can see like a home run leaving the yard. It's like, all right, mm. the audio guy, cue up the sound. Or in the NHL where a guy's taking a shot, like, okay, well, this is a slap shot. Cue up the sound for the crowd noise to make sure it goes in. Like you, you, you can't really do that with the NFL unless you have somebody really with their finger on the button. And then what if they accidentally hit the, hit the button when nothing happens? You have a bunch of mm-hmm. crowd noise in the stadium cheering for nothing, like an incomplete pass, cheering for it like it's, like it's an interception. I just don't, I just don't really agree with it. Like, just leave the game as it is. I honestly want to hear the players uh, on the field and hear what they have to say. It'd be kind of cool, but it just cheapens the game for me. Like, you know, you, you don't need to do that. Be a lot of bleeping out, though. I think. <laughs> I, think <laughs> that's the about, yeah. I don't know if you could do that. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, though. Yeah, you mentioned it, and listen, I'm I'm very thankful at this point. I, anything that we can do, like regular life, I'm thankful for it, and. I'm thankful that sports are back. It was tough for someone like me who loves sports not to be able to watch them. Yeah, I, I still am. I'm still watching the NBA. I'm still watching the NHL, and, and I'm, I'm definitely watching my Yankees. But it's weird. It's weird watching these games. Are weird. I mean, anybody who who is watching an NBA game right now and says there's a playoff atmosphere, you I, you got to convince me how. I, it's it's really tough, you know, watch, watching the Lakers last night, and what's well, affecting LeBron, LeBron apparently too, right? Um, <laughs> I believe you said but, that. Um, but, you know, watching them, it's just, it just doesn't feel, it just feels like you're watching some kind of like exhibition or like a summer league type thing or something like that. It's, it's just, I, I kind of hope when the NFL comes back, it has a different vibe to it. And I know some teams, aren't the Chiefs going to have 16,000 fans or something? Did, you, did I read that right? That's a terrible idea. Yeah. They're, did you they're see trying that? To, yeah. They're trying on opening day or night or whenever the game, that game's going to happen, but the Thursday night game, they're looking to have 16,000 fans. The rule is that you all have to wear masks unless you're eating and drinking. But I'm like, that's what you do during a football game. You eat and you drink. Aside from yelling, that's that's all you're doing is eating and yeah. drinking. So I don't know how that's going to work. And on top of that, like, are you testing these people when they come in? Like, are you are you taking temperatures or what are you doing here? Like, how do you ensure that that happens? And it's just just a really bad idea right now. It's so NFL of them to do that. And I know that I'm kind of biting the hand that feeds us right now a little bit, but. If you look back at this, like, what are we doing here? The NFL, like, you, you wanted a full season. You got that. You wanted all the teams to play. You got that. You wanted them to play in their home stadiums. You got that. You wanted training camp. You got that. You wanted um, a full playoff slate, like, basically uninterrupted. Uh, you got that. And now you want fans. It's like you literally have gotten, gotten everything that you wished for up to this point. And now you're getting greedy. And you're like, okay. Well, we want fans at the games now too. I don't see how that can happen. The Raiders have said they're not going to do it. The Niners have said they're not going to do it. There's several other teams that said they're not going to do it. The, the Packers have said they're at for the very first two games at least, they're not going to do it. And all of a sudden the Chiefs are like, nope, we're going to do it. We're going to have 16,000 people in our yard and it's going to be fine. And Al, honestly, it's not going to be fine. Like they can't really in, the, in their good conscience be okay with this. Yeah. Well, hopefully. It, it'll just nothing's going to get shut down and, and, and it will work out and then everybody can eventually get fans back but we'll see we'll see again you know it, it, i don't want to talk about the negative kind of want it to be positive and, and get the season going i'm looking forward to watching football and if i'm sitting on that thursday night and there's a football game on who, who are the who are the chiefs playing i already forgot who they're playing the ravens is it the ravens, ravens? isn't is it a I, I, you know, and once the, the, I'm, lost, I, I'm like, I don't care about that game. Cause I was like during the, the Super Bowl, I'm like, oh, it's going to be awesome. They're going to get the first game of the season. We'll see them with the patch on their jerseys and all that stuff. And then poof, that was gone. So then after that, I stopped caring. <laughs> oh dude, I'm an NFL junkie. Chiefs are playing the Texans, the Texans. Okay. On the 10th. Yeah. So that's going to be a good game. Like I'm going to say, I'd love to sit down and watch Mahomes versus Watson. Why? Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see that game. 
I'm all about it. I'm an NFL junkie, so I will watch anything. And I'm just, I'm just really glad that it's back. So it's, it's good stuff there. Zane, you got anything else you want to hit on, buddy? Um, Saturday football, right? With college football not uh, looking like it's not going to happen this fall, the NFL season is moving to Saturdays as well. And I think that's awesome. Honestly, the, I'm, I'm also, I love the NFL. I love watching football. My favorite sport to watch. Uh, I wish they would get rid of the Thursday night games because it, it's just such an unfair disadvantage for those teams that play, uh, specifically for the ones that have to travel as well. And I wish they would just put that, either get rid of it completely or now put it on Saturdays instead. I think that would be a great weekend. Saturday football, Sunday football, Sunday night football, Monday night football. Like that's, that's a fantastic three days of football. And I really hope yeah, especially, they do. Especially if we can't go anywhere. It'd be nice to have a game on Saturday night for sure. Exactly. Exactly. I think it would be really great. So, um, yeah, man. I mean, it's just, it's, it's weird. I'm watching, I'm watching baseball too. And obviously my A's are near the top of the league right now. And how would you feel Al, if one of your teams won, like if the Lakers won the championship this year, like, how do you feel? Is that even a real championship to you? How do you feel? About well, I, I think for basketball in hockey, they did, they did play most of the season. Mm-hmm. So it is obviously weird, a little weird and a little different and it, it's going to be a different feel to it. But there was a legitimate season there. I think I'm having a hard time getting into baseball because it doesn't feel like a legitimate season to me. 60 games. Some guys are just getting warmed up after 60 games. How many guys who have big seasons start slow and then, you know, by the time 120, 130 games, their numbers are there. So it's, it's been a little weird for me to, um, with the baseball. And, and if you win the World Series this year in baseball, I think it's kind of like a, <laughs> a 60 game season is a little, but basketball and hockey, I think is different. And my, my Yankees are, are doing well and judge and Stanton are hurt again. So all is, you know, all <laughs> pretty much the same as, as last year. I love Aaron judge, love Aaron judge, but the guy, the guy can't stay on the field right now, but yeah, I, th- I definitely think it's going to cheapen it a little bit. Really? I, th- I, th- I feel like, I feel like the other way around, I feel like it cheapens it for the, the NHL and the NBA, because you literally had the equivalent of an off season off in the middle. And you're basically yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. like the whole grind, the whole reason of like the, the, that sports changes things. And, and the reason why we can't predict them is because, we don't know the effect that it has on the human body. And there's an element of randomness to with injuries and things like that. Like, look, the Warriors three-peat if Kevin Durant doesn't get hurt in the last two weeks of the season last year. So that counts. That matters, right? We're, well, I guess the last month of the season last year. And they basically are just like, we're, we're going to forego that, kick eight teams, like a quarter of our teams out of the league and just have like a, a handful of games to get warmed up for this weird playoff uh, format that we've created. And then we're going to play playoffs. It's just really weird to me, and and I can't really get behind it. Like I don't really watch the the NBA. I haven't watched any of the bubble stuff. I've been hearing about stuff, but I haven't watched any. I haven't watched any of the NHL. I just can't get behind it the same ways because like you literally started a new season and you kicked out a quarter of your teams, and you're like reseeding the playoffs in a weird way. At least the NHL is. So to me, it's just super manufactured. Uh, baseball, yeah, it's, it is manufactured because the way that they're going to play the playoffs, but it's almost like a strike shortened season where like they had a strike and now they're finishing the rest of the season. So yeah, I mean, like there's no perfect scenario. I'm hoping the NFL has that perfect scenario where we finish the season, where we start and finish the season on time. And, uh, and we'll have to see about that. So uh, super excited about that. Super excited to talk about more, uh, more football with you, man. I know we have a training camp, uh, uh, 53 man roster preview coming up as well in a couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. We'll see um, who we think is going to make this team and what the roster is going to look like. And, heading into the season and I could not be more excited. I just, I can't wait for football to come back. Um, can't wait to watch football. Can't wait for the Niners. And we're glad you guys can be a part of it with us this season. So for Zane, this is Al guys. We'll talk to you soon. See ya.